Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into a seasonally appropriate passage of scripture and share some thoughts and some sermon starter ideas that we hope will be enjoyable and edifying and equipping for all those who listen in, and especially pastors and teachers who might be preparing uh, sermons or teachings on this text. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And my guest this week is Aaron Perry, my most regular guest. He's on just about every month is kind of the routine that's emerged, a little bit more than that sometimes, maybe every three weeks or so. And Aaron and I are going to be digging into Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. So Luke 16, starting at verse 1 through verse 13. It's for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. So that's uh, September 22nd, 2019 this year. And so that'll drop a little bit before that. So yeah, make sure to uh, uh, rate and review us if you get a chance, as well as uh, subscribe and share uh, on social media, let people know about what we're doing. And we hope that it's uh, been of some value to you and that you'll pass it around to others as well. All right. Enjoy the show. Sunday of Pentecost, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Still in Luke, but moving right along. 16, 1 through 13. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I was like, John, man, just like, uh, sweet. (laughs) You want to punt? You want me to make Dan do that or something? (laughs) Somebody who can... (laughs) So, oh, was that? That's challenge, a, no, no. challenge accepted. Heck no, now I'm in. All right. I can preach this. Easy. <laughs> oh, man, it is a doozy, though. All right, so Luke 16, verses 1 through 9. Did I say 9 or 13? 13. 1 through 13. Yeah, so a little attachment on the end. But uh, Would you like to read or you want me to read? I'll read. Okay, go for it. So this is from the New Living Translation, and one of my favorite covers of any Bible I own, and you'll see why, it's the self-help collection. Oh, yeah, because, so you I, know, the Bible's all about self-help. So I find it very interesting that <laughs> this translation is the self-help edition. I think that might be actually why I bought this one, is just to have a self-help laugh. edition yeah. Bible. Yeah. New Living Translation. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, starting chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Jesus told this story to his disciples. A rich man hired a manager to handle his affairs, but soon a rumor went around that the manager was thoroughly dishonest. So his employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about your stealing from me? Get your report in order, because you are going to be dismissed. The manager thought to himself, Now what? I'm through here, and I don't have the strength to go out and dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I know just the thing, and then I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me when I leave. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, How much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, Tear up that bill and write another one with 400 gallons. "'And how much do you owe my employer?' he asked the next man. "'A thousand bushels of wheat,' was the reply. "'Here,' the manager said, "'take your bill and replace it for one with only eight hundred bushels.' The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the citizens of this world are more shrewd than the godly are. I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven.' Unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with the other people's with other people's money, why should you be trusted with money of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And there ends today's reading, the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for this day which you have made and for this hour to which we have been sent. And you have sent forth your word, your living word, Jesus Christ, the word that was spoken through the prophets by your spirit, and the written word that recalls the words of Jesus and of the apostles and of the prophets. And so, Lord, we cling to the promise that when you send forth your word, it shall not return to you void. So we trust, Lord, that this word has something to say to us and to those who are listening in, separated by time and space. We pray that by your spirit, we will be guided to receive and respond to the word in accordance with your will. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I found myself immediately grateful for the little tag, the last couple after the the parable, mm-hmm. you know, then these additional little instructions mm-hmm. about faithfulness and who mastery, you know, kind of places it in a little bit of context that kind of helps me a little bit. I'm not sure yet how, but mm-hmm. well, I mean, I have hunches, but well, I mean, at least you could just camp on that. If you read through the first, yeah, if you read through the whole thing. And then you just kind of camp on these last, what, four verses, 10 to 13. You, you can have a good sermon out of that, you know, it'd be what you would kind of expect. Mm-hmm. But you could still preach a sermon out of that. I was thinking about the, the first part. Uh, it, it kind of has this element of, uh, of a reductio ad absurdum in narrative form. That the ways of people living alongside and within... And within a society for one another, just breaks down all over the place relationally. So the employer hears a rumor about his manager and believes it. And all we as the reader or the hearer Ah, knows is that it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We don't actually know if he's dishonest or not. It's just a rumor. But he becomes dishonest because the employer considers him to be. And the fellows that the manager has helped out to, to make their bills lesser. Um, the employer is out some of what's owed to him. And at the same time, he would have less trust in people that he had been providing service or providing goods for, because he doesn't know who's been part of this complicity to, yeah. to cheat him. So the people have, have lesser bills, but no trust. And so the employer's out a manager and has no trust in anybody. And as a result, those who have been receiving goods from him might be out a provider. <laughs> you know, they might be out the person who actually has the goods that they're after because they don't know if they were bound up in this scheme. Huh. So it, it just, it just kind of has this feel of like it, it all break when there is no trustworthiness in the small things, uh, the whole yeah, thing yeah, breaks yeah. down. No, that's a good way to bring it back to the, the sayings in verse 10 and 11 mm-hmm. and 12. Right. That the lack of faithfulness and trustworthiness in worldly matters and how, how's it put there? It's uh, in much versus little and much is yep. verse 10. Yep. And then verse 11 switches to unrighteous mammon and true riches. Yep. And then verse 12 switches to something that's someone else's versus what is your own. And then just the big God and mammon option in verse 13. And then even back in verse 18, just to play with your reductio ad absurdum. So that's Latin for what? Re- reduced reduced to, the to the absurd, right? So following following the logic through to where everything just breaks down. Which I think is is, is something worth playing with with uh with Jesus' parables, which are very uh they're they're a stumbling block. To, they tempt us to take them at face value when the whole point's to not, right? No. <laughs> but it's precisely the strangeness of the face value that's kind of the entry point in to mm-hmm. really exploring mm-hmm. what he wants us to say. And and in, in verse uh, 8, there's that line towards the end of verse 8, although I have a question that I'll bracket for the moment. This language of the sons of this age, right, versus 
um, the sons of light. How did NLT call it? Something. The second was the godly, but it's these two kinds of children, right? In verse 8b, the sons of this world or this oh. age are Citizens more of this world are more shrewd than the godly are. Yeah, citizens. So to match, it'd be citizens of light and citizens of this age or this mm. world. It's a, it's a funny one because it's sort of, it, it immediately makes me think of the, uh, the wise as serpents, innocent as doves mm-hmm. quote. And, and alongside of that, playing with your language of reductio ad absurdum to think, what would it mean? I mean, in a sense, this is a whole parable of see how things are out in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen how things play out. Maybe it's a more extreme version, but, uh, this is how thing, this is how people deal, right? They use the money to get friends, to get, mm-hmm. to get their, you know, get things set up for their next, uh, move. And can't you see that there's a little bit of, despite all that's immoral in that, can't you see there's a certain kind of, uh, worldly wisdom there? And maybe we can draw an insight from that when we think of deeper, truer matters, that's at least one way of kind of taking verse eight, and it would fit the this kind of reductio ad absurdum language that you were using. Actually, a lot of his parables can kind of work that way, you know, where it's kind of the parable of the sower can kind of work that way. It's this very kind of extreme mm. form of just kind of throwing the seed all around. I mean, it's true that you don't know exactly how all your seed's going to go. You're probably not going to put a lot of seed on your road, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of extreme, or the or the the, the unjust judge, right? Who's ignoring the woman, but he's like, all right, I'll help this woman out. I mean, this is, that's not a picture of God, right? This isn't necessarily a picture of a godly person. Mm-hmm. He's clearly named by Jesus here as a son of this world in mm-hmm. contrast to sons of light. Mm-hmm. So he's not saying, hey, this guy's a, clearly this guy's a, you know, moral upstanding citizen. You should want to be more like him. No, it's a watch, watch how the world works. And actually you may perceive something. Maybe, I don't know if you resonate with that reading that I just threw out there, but yeah, uh, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the citizens of this world are more shrewd than the godly are. I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends, which is what the fellow did. He did use what was at his disposal. In this case, the fellow's accounts, the employer, employer's accounts. He didn't have strength, but he did have he did have bills to, to rewrite. And he was... He was able to use that for his own personal gain. And Jesus does flip that. It's not use what you have for your own benefit. It's use what your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. So this guy, in a sense, made friends, but it was also for his own benefit. And so the, the bit that they're, he's drawing out from that is use what you've got and be shrewd about it. Be, be wise about it. Um, but for the benefit of others as well. So there's, there's like a drawing and then a, and then a contrast in it as well. And, I'm trying to think about the contrast between this employer and his attitude towards his manager and uh, God and his attitude towards those that have been called into service in Christ in, in, yeah. part, in part of this movement. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of how much more would God be impressed, not at the one who is cheating to get for his own good, but the one who is wise to be good to others. Yeah, it's funny. I'm almost like my mind immediately flipped it on the other head that the friend that we're making is um, God and God's servants and prophets and Christ and his disciples Mm. and all that sort of stuff. And I could be wrong. I'm just playing with this. It's that last line, nine. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they – assumingly the friends – they will receive you into the tent, uh, the tents of the coming age, into eternal habits, right? Into into, into eternal uh, tabernacles, something like that. Um, the language is is strange. Now, even though it's a plural, so we don't immediately think of it as a kind of image for the one God. If we think of it as the sons of light in general, God, all His messengers, His prophets, Christ, His disciples, etc. Hey. These are the people you want to be associated with so that when the worldly means fall through, you will, you'll have a friend in Jesus for the coming age. Make sure your, you have your, your connections are the ones that really matter. These eternal mm-hmm. relationships implying that like to, 
it, it's like it's ca- it's immediately calling out the notion that I might compromise my own discipleship because of my worldly obligations. It's kind of saying the other thing. <laughs> if you gotta compromise your worldly obligations, again, we gotta think through what that means, morally speaking. But compromise your worldly obligations because what matters the most is, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. the friends you know. Because at the end of the day, all the money's gonna go away. You can't take it with you anyway. I mean, in some ways, it's a very simple, straightforward. Why worry about all your books being perfectly in order? And you know what I mean? The most important thing is to have friends, which in the sense, the world, the world knows this because this guy is set up. How many guys did he just hook up? Three, is it? Uh, His debtors. First, Uh, he said to the second, then to another. I think it's three. Master is master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He said a hundred boils of oil. So we get the oil. Then he said to another, how much do you owe wheat? Okay. So we have two, maybe more. At least two. Yeah. And I, 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 maybe I could be reading the parable wrong. So help me here to catch it the way you're catching it. Cause there is the commendation there. But, uh, what I immediately read was that he's planning on getting a job from one of these people, right? Cause it lists what he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to beg. He doesn't want hard labor. Well, he, what he knows how to do is be a house manager. So maybe I can get that with one of these other guys. That's why I took it to be doing. He's currying favor with an alternative employer. Um, but maybe I'm hearing you maybe read it as he's being committed and kind of reinstated maybe even as the steward. Cause that's the only thing he knows how to do oh. is to stay. I guess you could take it either way. It's not clear. Mm. So it says he commends him. So maybe he's like, he forgives him or something like, wow, you're good. Maybe I can still use you. I don't, I, it's hard to, it's a weird, yeah. it's such a weird text. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I take it as this, this making of friends setting up of, uh, a kind of, uh, the other the other person owes him, right? He, he's mm-hmm. for, he's forgiven enough of what's owed to his employer that the person that he's participated in this forgiveness owes him at least something. I wasn't thinking about it in terms of employment. I was kind of thinking about it in terms of uh, to whom can he belong? Mm-hmm. Who who will bring him under their under their umbrella? But I'm pretty sure they wouldn't hire him as a manager. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> that's the problem. You know, it, it's like he's in, he's indebted to them with some kind of or. He, other people are indebted to him with some kind of obligation, but not to keep on doing what he was just doing. Yeah, because his untrustworthiness <laughs> is probably pretty obvious to them at this point. Well, yeah, if, they were, they, if it wasn't before. Yeah, this is what what makes what makes him unsuitable for service in his first employer's house is what also would make him unsuitable for the same job in some other employers. Although, what uh, made him ultimately unsuitable is what has brought about the obligation that. Hopefully, he's hoping somebody else will have to him. And it is a kind of act of entrust. Like, he can't play the, the shame card about, like, what this other person owes him because it was part of a complicit dealings in the first place. Right. Like, he can't, he can't go to the wider public and say, look at, look at how shady this person is treating me. You know, it has to stay and hidden. It has, to, it has to stay hidden or else the whole, the whole thing just crumbles, crumbles down. Because if it comes out, it's kind of, it's kind of what's coming to mind is that the, uh, the people who, bring the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and they only bring the woman. They don't bring the man, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of like they're depending on some of this coming out in the public, but the rest of it kind of just staying hidden. Like they're like uh, enough of this has to be create an onus between them, but most of it has to stay mainly, mainly hidden. And that might, uh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that gives us another angle into Jesus's commendation to them to do things that won't always be publicly known or hmm. publicly recognized. The little things, the little things don't often have grand exposure. Mm-hmm. The greater things will, but it's like Jesus is saying, "Well, focus on what the smaller things first. The, the smaller that which is little before you're focusing on the larger, the the greater responsibilities." Yeah, and that and that little and much contrast seems to map on loosely to these more kind of this temporal and eternal distinction, right? Or unrighteous mammon and and true riches distinction. I just think of that as saying, like, in some sense, it's not just the quantitative differences of small and big amongst worldly affairs, but there's an implicit, well, it, by 13, it becomes explicit, right? Where it's like all of your financial matters are small things compared to the thing mm-hmm. that really matters, right? Mm-hmm. That's at least the tone that I'm sensing is underneath that. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm hearing something that I shouldn't be hearing, but 
I'm thinking about this in, as well, that kind of standing behind. Th- think about this with me. Let me test it out with you. Standing behind this whole story of the employer and the manager and those who owed him is the god of m- mammon, is the god of money. And what's revealed in under the lordship of mammon is uh, shrewdness with some benefit, but mainly lack of trust, uh, rumor, uh, scheming, yeah. conniving. And the contrast of that with the the lordship of God, that God is that that is not the economy. That's not the way of relationships under God's lordship. And and maybe maybe the part of the point is not the the analogy between oh look what the worldly person did for benefit and draw that into the kingdom, mm-hmm. but it's like that very 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 small point of connection is exactly what shows the grand contrast between life under both of these lords. Like yeah, there's a there's a there's yeah. a there's a connection, but man, it's like the size of a grain of salt. Like, it's so <laughs> small. Like that's what makes the point. That's how different this these things are. Yeah, I think that's important. I think that goes back to your reductio ad absurdum way of reading, right? And is back to why I said right out of the gate. Really glad that verse 13 is part of the passage. Do you know what I mean? Because it, <laughs> it does set a interpretive framework for the whole preceding material. Well, let's take a quick break and come in and let's get into some of the issues that this is raising for us. we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. My name is John Drury, uh, your regular host here, and I've got Aaron Perry here with me, and we're looking at Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. So something just jumped out at me as we were discussing, especially as you mentioned the extent to which there might be a kind of realism about the the world out there, that this it might not just be kind of an analogy to tell us how to do something, although there's a little of that, that the contrast is also there. And verse 13 seems to back that up a little. Here's another little exegetical comment that might support your thought there. It's not identified as a parable in verse one. I think that's important. It's called that in the headings of most Bibles. Is it in yours? It is in mine. Story of the shrewd manager. Uh, And then verse one says, Jesus told this story to his disciples. Nice. Okay. So it's just, he said this to his disciples. Mm. So now I'm not saying not every parable is introduced with the word parable. Mm. And the way that it starts sounds like a standard parable. There once was a man who was, you know. Um, but having said that, we could take it, not that he's saying there's an actual person, but parables are not always designed to kind of, um, the moral of the story is not always straightforward in a parable. It's not always be like person X mm-hmm. entirely, right? And And it's that fact that you've got this little story here that might be serving lots of, functions, including a kind of just like honest, hard look at the exposure of the untrustworthiness that is at the foundation of um, ancient economic relationships and all the more so in our modern ones. Even in these ancient relationships, there's still clearly a lot of sort of honor, shame, obligation that's non-contractual, right? So you had the contracts here, but the personal relationships were clearly pretty dominant, even in the way this story is told, mm-hmm. which you can tell in the ancient world. Uh our modern world even more kind of like separated the the personal from the professional, the contractual from the relational. Do you know what I mean? And but what immediately bumps into my mind is is that you know if we didn't have a chapter break here, you know, which aren't original. It's not like Luke was like, now I'm in chapter yep. sixteen. Yep. Uh, you know, we're coming right after the prodigal son. Yep. And actually, a triplet of parables. Yep. Prodigal son, lost coin, uh, the lost, lost sheep. sheep. I don't know. May, I don't. Maybe that. Does that introduce any insight? That's why I thought I'd bring it up. Oh, and back, I should say, back in 14, there was like the counting of, counting the cost, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha, look, look at what a, a wealthy man is building barns. He would count the cost, right? Or man's going to go out for war. Like, again, those are not parables that kind of, but most of the people in Jesus's entourage are not, you know, and, and crowds are not, you know, kings going out to war, right? These are distant analogies. I don't know. It just, any thoughts that might come out of just putting it in that larger context of these these uh, famous parables like the lost son and others? Well, certainly part of it is the uh, – I'll take the lost son out of this, but the, the kind of nonsense of the economies of the <laughs> 99 found and one lost, yes. right? 
and the and the lost coin and the nine that are found and spending probably more than what the coin itself was worth to celebrate finding the coin, right? There's kind of there's a nonsense in it. And I well, think there's, there's a nonsense economy in the prodigal son too, man. I mean, like it just re- it just rewards bad behavior, as my wife says in her sermon on that sucks. You know, I mean, there's a sense in which, you know, what's he going to do? Just turn around, and do this again tomorrow, and then you're going to throw another party for him. I mean, that's at least at glance, you know. Yeah. The there, it's there's possible. a ri- there's a risk that the father takes for sure. Yeah, he, he's yeah. put he is. He he puts his honor back. He puts his honor on the line. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I, I said I, nonsense economy. I don't know. It's yeah. a larger. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a connection that a father would have with the son, and I think those are building towards yeah. the. I think those are building in in uh, weightiness through the story. Oh, that's good insight. That, then what yeah. the shepherd would have toward a sheep, and then what a woman would have towards her her inheritance or towards her her right. life savings. But it's still increasing, right? One and nine, nine and one, one. Okay, that's a good. That, that's all I'm trying yeah. to say. But yeah, yeah, there, there yeah, is, yeah. there is, there is a nonsense to it as well, you know. And there's also, I mean, there's a nonsense of leaving the party in celebration, going out to the other one who's all ticked off that this is happening in the first place. So there's a nonsense that's, that's going on here. It's just kind of a different, a yeah. different kind of, of nonsense that's showing. In, in one hand, it may, maybe I'd say it like this: is is if some people and let's say let's put it in real time that maybe this is all happening on a run and it, it has a feel of, of on the run in the way Lucas described it. Like, it's not like there's not, a, there's not a break of time. There's not a break of geography. It's just like he keeps it's on the going. journey to Jerusalem. It's not he, located in a particular yeah, town. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's yeah, right. Maybe Jesus is kind of reading the crowd and they're thinking to themselves like, this is bonkers. <laughs> like no shepherd does that. No, <laughs> that's right. no widow does that. No father is going to dishonor himself. As that father did. That's nonsense. And Jesus is kind of like just continues it and saying, well, if you think that's nonsense, like maybe he's reading the crowd. It's like, well, let me tell you about worldly nonsense. Uh, like this, this, is how, this is how it goes. Like you got a manager and he hears a rumor. And the rumor is that his, there, you got an employer, he hears a rumor. And the rumor is that his manager's dishonest. So he's like, I'm going to fire you. And I was like, well, before you fire me, I'm going to make sure to actually cheat you. You know, like, and, you know, and, and, and he's doing that to make friends. And here's the crazy thing. He makes friends. <laughs> You know, it's, it's and now and now you're back to the employer, and the employer's like, "Man, that guy's actually pretty good at managing things. You know, <laughs> know how to make friends." It's like it's like this is an example of if you think God's economy is is turned upside down. Well, let me just show you how this one deteriorates. You know, and then and then when I think about the end, is like, so which one are you going to choose? Like, yeah. which one do you want to be in? Like, which of it's the, all bonkers, man. Yeah, which which what, of these is actually appealing to yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. What's the true one? Yeah, and and if in case you think and and like again that kind of little bit of like. Maybe there's people in the crowd who think that they can game the system. And it's like, I can be here with Jesus long enough yeah. to, to kind of curry this. And, and I can also be part of this other system over here. And it's like Jesus is saying, yeah, there, there is this very small connection. You know, there is, there is a little analogy about world, about the, the purchase that wisdom from one world makes on purchase and wisdom the other. Yeah, there is. But in the end, you got to choose. You know, are you going to choose to that system or are you going to choose this one? Mammon, worldly, worldly wealth. Worldly ways of doing things or God's ways. It, in the end, you have to choose. Um, I'm thinking about the person who, whenever I teach a, the class I teach here on atonement, we often come up against this the scandal of grace. Mm-hmm. And there are people that, and sometimes we think about, well, what about the person who comes into our church and they're always looking for something? And, you know, do we help them out? And like, is it is it enabling just their dysfunction, whatever else? And we start talking about survival. And a person who is able to, uh, survive for, you know, a long time, still pretty good at surviving. Even mm-hmm. if they're not doing it in good ways, they're still pretty good at surviving. And, uh, but in the end, if they want to get healthy, there's a kind of turning from survival that they have to make. You know, all of us have to turn from ways of surviving in order to accept the Lordship of Christ. And I kind of see, maybe that's here. I'm kind of using that as like, is there a survivor in the crowd that Jesus is kind of reading or is there a spirit of survival in the crowd that Jesus is reading? And now he's like, okay, if you think that you can game the system of the sheep, the widow, and the sons, or you think that's nuts, let me tell you about this, the, the craziness of this story. And if you think you can game the system, if you, if you think you're an actual survivor and that's what you're getting through, in the end, you're going to have to choose. In the end, you're going to be, be put with one system or the other. Yeah, that's really good. I think that really takes you know, the final verse as a kind of framework for the whole. And really, I love that stuff about what kind of these two bonkers economies, like, is 
I mean, we've done this before. We, we did a thing about the economy of glory last spring. I remember when you were here. And it is this kind of bonkers economy that kind of doesn't mm-hmm. – it presupposes this unthinkable thing called an infinite mm-hmm. <laughs> glory. That's kind mm-hmm. of this unthinkable thought. It's kind of bonkers, but it's beautiful. And like when you catch the spirit of it, it draws you in. And now what I'm hearing you highlight is that, yeah, it is kind of bonkers compared to what we're used to. But actually when you really stop and spend enough time thinking about the world's own economy, it's also kind of bonkers too. Do you know what I mean? So like um, trying to, to see the, that there's really, there is ultimately a matter of choice here that it isn't just a mere kind of like, it's not just that following the worldly ways is rational and submitting the Lordship of Christ is irrational leap of faith that there's a little leap of faith built into the irrationality of the world too. There's a little, there's enough unreason in the world that we just take for granted because it's this kind of inherited Mm -hmm. way of being in the world that we haven't questioned it, you Mm -hmm. know, and Jesus is both kind of wanting to look at it square in the eye, see elements of truth that's in it. Um, And to support your hunch that maybe the crowd textually to play with that, the next reference we get to an audience is in verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money <laughs> heard all this and scoffed at him. So, yeah, so there is that yeah, buildup. And then soon yeah. after we're going to get the, the Lazarus and the rich man story. So there's a lot of stuff. And then if you go back now, our passage says that he was speaking to his disciples, although it's important to remember that in the gospels, most of the gospels with some important exceptions in some key places, disciples doesn't have to mean the 12. It can mean just students and it's, appropriately translated students. So our last reference would then be back to some Pharisees in Luke 15, verse two, right? So, so the stretch that runs from these three parables, uh, the famous three parables of the lost, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, followed by the story that he says to his disciples about the, that we're discussing today of the unrighteous servant, plus a couple little teachings at the end about God and man and all that, then boom, we get Pharisees again. So, so you've got Pharisees murmuring about him eating with tax collectors later, you know, he's going to call them out for their, their love of wealth. So clearly there's a kind of context of here. We clearly have characters that support your supposition that, you know, they're clearly like Pharisees are kind of the masters of compromise. That's part of their popularity. Yeah. They were able to say, they here's, are survivors. Here, yeah, yeah, here's how to survive under Roman, the thumb of the Roman Empire. Here's what it means to live a life of purity, even though the Gentiles are defiling our land. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we talk about them being legalists, we are uh, that that obscures more than it reveals, as far as I'm concerned, because they're actually really, really practical guides in terms of how to Absolutely. how to serve God and Mammon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right, they're they're the, yeah, they're, they're, they're wise. They're men trying about, to live in the world, right? They're, right. They're, they're trying. They're trying to, and yet still follow God. They're trying to be salt. And they light. would say that I put God first. They would say they put God <laughs> yeah. first. Yeah. Uh, what did you say? You say, "Ooh, they're well, salt and light." Well, there's, there's, <laughs> kind of, it's, there, there's an element of like them trying. Them trying to be different while still surviving and being in the world and going about how you have to go yeah. about in the world. Um, so I think that supports your supposition of a possible I, secondary I, audience here. Yeah. I, I love when the, I love when the text maybe doesn't like explicitly say, but at least can be used to support what, you know, what a, a fun read at least is. Uh, interesting. After, just after this, uh, I don't know that all the context, but it, my mind went to Jesus's story of the Pharisee and the tax collector and the Pharisee is full of self-confidence mm-hmm. and the tax collector 18. is, um, uh, is, is humble and contrite before God. Um, and I, I mean, Jesus is tough, tough on the Pharisees. Um, but tax collectors are sinners, bro. They are, they're yeah, schemers. Yeah. They yeah, are, yeah. That well, reputation was not unearned. I mean, the, well, back in 15, one. So the part of the audience, tax collectors and other notorious sinners yes. often came to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, right? So that's already setting the contrast. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I, <laughs> I wonder if part of it is, uh, All building up to the temple because they go up to the temple to pray in verse 18 and we're only like two chapters away by yep. that point to uh, actually getting to Jerusalem. I'm trying to think of who who these people might see themselves as in the characters of the story. Oh, that's a so good question. It's like, do the Pharisees see themselves as the managers? Like people who have been given responsibility from the employer? You know, because that'd be one way for them to re- see themselves. If God is, if they are, if they are hearing this without context, uh, the rich man as God, let's just. I'm that'd just be, playing that'd with be it. the default. Yeah. Yeah. They they themselves would be the managers. And now they're seeing that, oh, they're 
we're the schemers in this. And who do they scheme with? But other people who, oh, it's like maybe Jesus is like, you guys are like, you guys are scheming with the tax collectors and notorious sinners. Like, like you're, you think I'm despicable with them? It's like, like, this is how you've learned to do, like, this is the life you're living. Like, you've learned to have this economy with them. You know, you're, you're, wor- you're working together with them. So the Pharisees who dearly loved their money naturally scoffed at this. And Jesus said to them, you like to look good in public. Right, like you like you like to look good in public, and so even those that you are scoffing at, um, there's still ways that you are trying to look good with them and for them. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think about where would they, who would they naturally identify with in this story, and certainly I, I think as stewards would be a natural way for them to to start listening in. Although the the bite at the end is would be pretty tough, <laughs> would be pretty hard to hear for them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Choose this day. It makes perfect sense. And it it immediately raises the question for me, like, if there are implied um, resonances between this uh, parable and, you know, the real world, um, I, I would want to push back on the Pharisees' assumption. And I think usually our assumption when we preach a text like this hard not to to associate the rich man because he's kind of the he's the 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 fun the basic sort of a master slave dialectic here is between you know the kind of lord and servant Mm -hmm. and so we tend to just immediately say oh god must be the lord in that equation right and the servants are us right and if that itself creates a kind of odd insight then it makes me want to play with it and start Wondering whether, especially given, you know, there's at least a few other stories Jesus tells where a rich man is usually like the bad guy in the story. Oh, the, quite, the very right? next one. Right, right, yeah. right. So yeah. that makes me and, immediately... Now, when it's the rich man who who has a party and invites everyone, that seems more obviously, you know, um, the God character in the story. But But it's not a given that just because he's kind of the person with authority in the story... Um, well, there's, you, have the, the, you have the rich fool who wants to not share what he yeah. has and tear down his barns and build a bigger one so that he can keep storing up, you know. And Luke, Luke is, har- I mean, all the way back into the to Mary's song, is, yeah. there is some harshness and and critique of of those with wealth and and riches yep. in there. And so there's there's a contrast, Especially that, Luke. That's right. That, that Jesus is trying to do this. This only appears in Luke. This story, right? And and so. and for his um, the sermon, sermon on the plain, blessed are the poor. It's not blessed are the poor in spirit. It's blessed are the poor. So there's there's right. a, there's an, uh, a way that Jesus is economically sensitive through the Gospel of Luke, which, I mean, if if it is a which fits your reductio reading, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. See the way, worldly ways, you know. Well, I'm thinking of of the author of the Gospel of Luke, educated, probably some wealth. Yes, like, like he's not pulling any punches on himself. That's you right. Know, like there's there's a way. Um, that this is he's living into the the harshness and I, okay right after this I was I was thinking of the the judge in a certain city who has the persistent widow it's like yep. that's not God you know like, yeah like he's he's the unjust person so there is a way it's like it's it's consistently flipping things on its on its head here and even the person who's at the the lowest rung of these of this shrewd manager ironically is the one who maybe not a lot of praise but gets a little praise from Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, he he showed worldly wisdom in it, and and everybody kind of recognized it. And Jesus isn't really commending him; he's just saying the one who's at the bottom still showed some wisdom, still still showed so showed some guile. So if Jesus is trying to show how put, much more, just like with yes, persist, yeah. how much more, just like with the the persistent yeah. windows, like how yeah. much more you don't you need to know scheme into the favor of God, yeah, you like, don't need to scheme your way into God's favor, yeah, 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 yeah. that's good, yeah. Yeah, you're under the thumb of these systems. And Jesus isn't saying, I mean, he's clearly not justifying them. He's quite literally referring to them as unjust, right? Yeah. The the unjust mammon, the unjust wealth of this world that has a, it's an unjust system. And you're under the thumb of that. And those who are under the thumb of that, like a household manager, which would often be a, a slave, slave yeah. right? They would be the you know, the house slave versus the one who works manually. And he even references that. He's I don't wanna I can't do I don't that. wanna go back my <laughs> Break yeah. my back. I'm yeah. a, I'm the, uh, yeah. I'm a, um, but, and I don't want to be stuck begging. Right. Yeah. So, oh, right. So he, uh, 
so there would be at least some sympathy amongst uh, Jesus' um, poorer followers yep. for him, although yep. also perhaps some tension if they're more uh, field workers, right? But still, there's that that uh, sense of like, yeah, he kind of pulled one over on the on the rich man, yeah, yeah. and then it's just like the persistent window. It's like how much more if you know how to petition and get justice from an unjust judge? How much more from a just and loving God who yeah. hears our prayers? Yeah. And here you have a how much more, how much more? right? Would you know the the making of friends, right? Being friends yeah, with yeah, God, yeah. being friends with your fellow men and women in this world. That you know, even the most unjust people know that that that, that friendships are always going to uh, pay dividends more than you know. Yeah, the friendships outlast you know the every little jot and tittle of your yeah. uh, economic situation. Yeah, 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 man, and. I, I'm, I'm thinking of just this this nature of the the God of Mammon and that kind of spirit that's just mm. behind behind the whole thing, right? It's yeah. Like until you hear that verse um, from verse thirteen, y- you might think that the hired the rich man is the one who's in charge, and it's like Jesus is, is consistently saying in this gospel, no, is behind them are powers and principalities that, right. need to, that need to be brought down, and even even the the Magnificat for Mary. Um, the sword that divides her, her own heart is like she has to see. Oh, there, there's a battle I'm not yet seeing even mm-hmm. here. Right, the Magnificat is beautiful and is important, but it's still limited. You know, right? Um, well, yeah. Simeon later says a sword will pierce your heart. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. It's like um, the way that Jesus is going to go about being king in Luke's gospel is going to pierce your very heart, Mary. It's, he's not. Yeah. He is going to bring down the wealthy and the rulers, he's going to do that, but it's a way it's going to pierce your heart. And it's like, Jesus consistently has this, he's got eyes to see, you know, Mm -hmm. if you want to put it, if you want to put it like, put it like that. And that might be why he's so frustrated with the Pharisees. He's like, if there's anybody that should be seeing through all of this, it should be you guys. You know, you guys should, should see through this, but they, but they don't. Yeah. He's like, I share with you the apocalyptic worldview of sons of sons of light, versus sons of the world. Oh, I'm sure yeah, the Pharisees yeah, yeah, would yeah. talk like that, right? It sounds like straight, even Qumran would talk that way too. And Eternal tabernacles, and then eventually God of mammon. Yeah, I think your sense of like, the, of this deeper battle behind is crucial, especially for getting out of who are the, instead of just trying to sort out the kind of moral, the sort of, uh, our temptation when we read a parable, especially if you just have verse one through nine, is to try to, you know, sort of sort out the kind of uh, moral categories, right? Who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? Or what's good versus bad within a particular character's action. Mm-hmm. But the language of mammon at the end, which I think it's important to sometimes leave that word untranslated. Just leave yeah. it mammon, yeah. right? Capital M, right? That this is, that there's something demonic about world yeah. economies. There just is. Yeah. And, and Jesus sees that. And the Pharisees know that too, yeah. and should see it even when they don't. Yeah. And he won't, he doesn't want us to miss that. And that, yeah, no, I think I think I think you're onto something very 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 important there that I think would play into preaching and teaching on a text like this to really see the, for lack of a better term, the spiritual warfare involved yeah. in our talk about uh, economics yeah. and finance. You know. I'm, to not just see these as neutral features of the world, no, it's you the, know, which is a typically modern way of thinking about it. Well, they're not religious things, and they're not moral yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. They're these neutral the, things. Yeah. And then on top of that, you can be you can be a moral person. You can be honest. And then, ironically, like a lot of the stuff I hear said about how what it means to be a Christian bus- Christian businessman, for instance, is often kind of adding sort of interpersonal virtue on top of a kind of neutral. Yeah. Business sense, yeah. which ironically, you have basically the opposite in this story. <laughs> and, and this person gets commended for yeah. basically like being kind of a schemer yeah. who makes good friends. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it's this, it's this affirmation of one. Sorry. It's a, it's a very um, chastened 
affirmation of one ca- person in this story without affirming the story yeah. with, with the whole story yeah. showing how, how ridiculous it all is. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was thinking about the, the order of the temptation that Jesus has in Luke's gospel. So he's in the wilderness and then he's at the mountain and he finishes at the temple. That's right. And it's got like apocalyptic feel to it with the angels and the revealing. And, and uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, is there, is, is this kind of, this is not simply Jesus condemning the political system that's around. It's him unveiling that there's there's deeper battles going on than what we're seeing. Just like at the, at the, the temple, this place where where the seen and the unseen is meant to come together, so that we're our eyes are truly unveiled. Um, uh, wondering how that that I, I I can see how that would cue us for ways to read through. Um, some of Jesus' parables. Like, how is he unveiling not just systems and structures of the world, or how is he condemning not just systems and structures of the world, but unveiling um, how they are already broken, how they are already uh, with a demonic power to them? I think that's really good. I think that's really good. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and write a sermon. we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Aaron Perry, and we've been looking at Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. It was a bit of a doozy. We were opening up and a little uh, had a little bit of fear and trembling, and rightly so, before any text, but especially a strange one like this. But uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like we had some good uh, I'm sorting out. Yeah, I know. I'm ready to preach it. Yeah, well, I know. I'm not ready to preach it. I want to preach it. Yeah, no, I'm like, I think what? you spend a little time with it. I, I had this moment of like... Of of like fear, like halfway through our interpretation section where I was kind of like, I wonder if there's like some little nugget of like historical cultural, like knowledge that completely makes me read this text different. I will briefly report that like, I've read a lot of commentaries on Luke over the years. I've, I haven't any, I haven't found any of the mitigation mitigations that are introduced by those commentaries to have ever been like a mind blowing. Like sometimes there's like a mind blowing thing when you really start to understand how things work in that day and age, you know, this has been one where all the stuff I've read around ancient, uh, near East economics and Greco Roman economics. It's, this is, this is, this is a bizarre story. Do you know what I mean? And, and the only important thing would be the stuff about honor and shame and the way that the obligation that people and you brought all that out. So I feel like we're on pretty safe ground letting this be the weird text that it is. Anyway, that was just a little addendum to our <laughs> middle part that I wanted to introduce. Cause I had this kind of like moment when I was like, oh, I don't know would one of our, you know, Dan or Ken, one of our, you know, one of our uh, Bible scholar types, you know, I'm like, Give us but, the every, key. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. every time I've talked with Ken about this text, I mean, he actually mentioned it just a week or two ago when he was on the, show he mentioned this passage as an example of jesus as the the great hyperbolist you know like that there's a kind of extremity in jesus teaching style and and i even referenced like oh kind of like john six where he's like eat my flesh and freaks everybody out he's like yeah that's not just the johannine theme like there's something about jesus teaching that tends to be almost intentionally uh incisive you know yeah so, and that at least made me feel comfortable in taking this text as strange and not thinking there's just some sort of easy explanation. Mm-hmm. It would have been strange to them, in other words, not just to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the putting it, if there is a contrast between Luke 15 and Luke 16, if there really is a contrast, that helps me, that helps me get at what the point of this is. Like that kind of putting it in real time, and you and you've been on the fly in teaching. Oh yeah, you've been on the fly in teaching that you're like, okay, it, it's almost there. How can I show this not by at, not by telling another story? It kind of like he's kind of done everything he can do by bringing up to one of two sons. You know, mm-hmm. like he's wrapped that up. But it's like, how do I get my point across from from the other side? And and if he's feeling the crowd, that that really helps me see. Oh, this. This is a strange story, and yet it makes perfect sense where it would fit in. And sometimes, I mean, I think the gospel writers are are very structured, mm-hmm. and they've plotted out and they've planned what they want to write and in what order. And I also think uh, it's possible that they want to communicate to us a sense of the real-time things happening. Yep. Yep. And so maybe, maybe this is one that Jesus didn't, hadn't thought all the way through, and just it comes to him in the moment, and it's kind of tidied up here so that like the... 
we can draw out the lesson. Like Luke, Luke makes sure there's, they've got some aphorisms at the end here to kind of get what the point of this is. Um, but it just kind of flows right out of them in this tense teaching time with tax collectors, notorious sinners, Pharisees, teachers of the religious law and, and students all, all mingled together there. And how's he going to get this final point of, um, what's it like to serve God? And if you don't opt for that, what's it going to continue being like not to? And this is all just happening on the fly in real time, you know, the heat of that, that moment. Yeah. No, I love it. I am trying to think like in a, how, how do we draw, I mean, we could draw generic homiletical implications from that, but I'm thinking even specifically for this text, like what, what, how, how might we want to run with a text like this? What kind of sermon, where, where are you going? You're, you're, you've got a glint in your eye. Well, I'm just saying it's kind of funny that if, if you prep for it, then you, if my hunch there's, <laughs> is anywhere true. If you prep for it, then you've missed the, you've missed it. And I, I think there might be an element of that to give our preachers permission mm-hmm. that chances are if they listen to fresh text and they are listening on Monday morning to get ready for Sunday and they are lectionary preachers that they probably don't like to have a whole lot that is not yet scripted going into the pulpit, right? They want to have it really nailed down and, and concrete, which is good and right. And, and certainly my style as well. Um, but I've learned, I think in the teaching, work to to uh, have some spontaneity in the preaching moment and so maybe uh if this text impacts me in one way hmm. jesus the teacher is is some spontaneity in the in the sermon is okay and precisely for those people who are coming and hoping there's going to be some kind of edge of their seat moment in the sermon that cannot be crafted if it's crafted you, you can draw them up a little bit in their seats but you can't bring them to the edge of their seat the edge of the seat only comes whenever you don't in know what's going to happen that's right that that some of that is is okay and um can even have a jesus feel to it you know can ha- be one who is led and guided by the spirit in the moment so i think that's kind of like a permission giving that that if if something comes to them in the fly reading the crowd reading the audience reading the cultural moment that they can lean into that and see what see what God might say. It might be a total flop because yeah. they are not Jesus. That's <laughs> you right. know, it might be a total flop, but uh, there might be that's some part of the risk that's being taken. There might be some Jesus spirit in it. Yeah. And the risk is like the father in Luke 15. Uh, the risk is to our own honor as preachers, not to whether yeah. the word will get out there. Yeah. Cause the fact is, is, <clears throat> you know, you can preach a bunk sermon and it, but somebody gets, Meets with God in it. I have other sermons that were just perfectly crafted, but, you know, didn't make a difference in any particular person's life, to my knowledge, you know? Yeah. And <coughs> just kind of kept your batting average up. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, John came, came through again. Yeah, so it seems to me that, like, so I guess you've uh, you've given permission to our listeners that this is the week to not prepare. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, I mean, a little bit in the sense of, like, it's not irrelevant that... This language of God and mammon already hinted at with sons of light versus sons of this age and the sons of light and, and the hope of eternal tabernacles, right? This kind of apocalyptic language and the language of the, the daemonic, right, with mammon, I mean, lends itself, I think, if you're open to it, to um, a for lack of a better term, like a, a small C charismatic way of thinking about preaching this text, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's calling out prophetically the, the hidden powers of this world that are affecting even the students of Jesus gathered in our congregations mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning or what have you. Right. And that corresponds to the spontaneity that you're highlighting. That's mm-hmm. why I'm bringing it up mm-hmm. is to say like, what would it mean to go in this week with a sermon like this with some key thoughts, deep enmeshment in, you know, deep immersion, not enmeshment, <laughs> immersion in the text and um, kind of ready to uh, speak a bit about God and mammon and really even just spending as much time this week, even exegeting the congregation and how has mammon got its clutches on us mm-hmm. and how can I call that out in a pastoral and yet prophetic way, mm-hmm. right? And you can see that in Jesus with the parables that preceded it, you know, uh, and even just the very fact that it's a parable, there's something pastoral about that. He's not just kind of, he doesn't even say you Pharisees are the, 
the lovers of money first. He starts by telling the story, and then they say, hey, wait, are you talking about us? And he's like, yes. Luke is the one who makes sure we get it. Right. (laughs) Pharisees are lovers of money. Yeah, Luke Luke makes sure the readers get it. They scoff, and then he says something. You're trying to justify yourselves before, you know, but God knows your hearts, right? Man, I think, and I think that choose this day there there might even be a this might be a sermon for testimony this might be a time for testimony for the for the preacher to be appropriately self-revealing mm-hmm. about their own journey from darkness to light or their own freedom from the mammon the god of mammon to to god and to be under the yoke of of god that this is this um this is not a sermon this is not a text to preach angry yeah. This is not a text to preach angry at your at your people. It's a text to preach grateful to being in God's economy, and mm-hmm. that being what what drives it. Because um, you could preach this angry, and it, and it, and it would be totally lost. It would just create. It would be the god the god of Mammon would have had his way, right? That's right. And it's one that has to communicate um, glory to God. Uh, appreciation for what it is like to give up whatever unending pursuit that one was in, whether, you know, what kind of honor somebody else, the preacher, him or herself was after, uh, what, what, uh, pointless pursuit they were in and then found meaning in God. And in, you know, in a nonsensical way, like you can still leave the people scratching their heads and be like, well, why in the world would they ever choose God? You know, mm-hmm. why in the world? It doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to, it just has to do a bit of unveiling of, um, when they realized that their life was not as marked by reason as they thought it was. Yeah. It was not as rational as they thought it was. It actually was, I like that. it actually was, uh, the emperor had no clothes even in their, in their lives. Um, yeah. I think a few testimonies from, people in the congregation whether live or or videoed it'd be a great week for that yeah what's been your and and this isn't like and i and i have no beef with like the pragmatic teaching we do on money like financial peace and all that kind of stuff i've no beef with that as hey get you know get your fares in order don't be irresponsible but if that's the only teaching we ever have we haven't been faithful to the gospel there's Mm -hmm. also the teaching that pushes against the notion that that, that that's able to challenge the, you know, financial and economic sort of powers that be yep. and to sort of, uh, and actually the pragmatic kind of teaching from like the book of Proverbs or Deuteronomy or financial peace university, the, that kind of tradition, uh, it's, it, it's validity actually operates when it's in that larger schema of a kind of a more apocalyptic vision that can kind of see, yeah. um, the reason you want to have uh, your affairs in order is so that is because it actually can help you be have a more free relationship with your own. Mm-hmm. But if it's just this constant pursuit of yeah. of wealth and security, because I mean, the last line in verse nine is so clearly when it fails, not if when, mm. right? So that when it fails, you know there will be you'll have friends that will receive you into the tabernacles of the coming age, right? That's that's what you're looking for you know, is, is an eternal tabernacle with God, um, and with his community, you know, so who, which community do you put first? Yeah. You know, um, boy, and that, that's such a tough, that is so tough for those who have done well within the system, even if they've been faithful people in the midst of the system is you can get more tied to the system than you can get tied to God who, Mm -hmm. who you want to stand behind all the you want to be the Logos, right? The spirit of your whole life, holding it together. It is easy to become one who allows the spirit of mammon to be that which ties your life together. Um, and it's just tough. I mean, it's that's that can divide one's own heart and soul. Um, at, at the same time, I'm even I'm even thinking of my my dad um, whenever he was diagnosed with cancer, and he is he was one who by by many worldly marks was a success right was good at his career was well liked had honor in our town um and i would say that the last three years of his life he i wouldn't say he told me that they were marked with the presence of god in ways Hmm. that that the previous part of his life weren't and it wasn't because god wasn't present in his life he was he was blessing him he was present my dad was a man of faith and and a faithful man um but but when the the underlying things that revealed him to be a success were for all intents and purposes, revealed to be for naught. Mm-hmm. He would say God was still present. You know, God was still 
God was still there. That that economy, that way of living and life, which had been fostered in a, his, the previous element of his, life, of his life, showed to be true and more glorious than what um, the outward appearance of it revealed in an earlier age in his life. That's a good word, man. And I, I think your recommendation of um, beware on preaching a text like this out of to do out of a kind of faux prophetic anger, lean into the to the testimony, lean into the gratitude, your own testimony, the testimonies of others. That's a that's going to be a great way to to speak about these issues. Yeah. Well, it's disarming. And how that's do you good. argue yeah. with the person? How do you argue with testimony? Like, like you yeah, could have yeah, somebody yeah. who get into the details, and they, to a certain extent, whenever we talk about systems, yeah. you do have to get into the details because yeah. that's what systems ultimately try to do. They try to they try to conserve energy and to be to systems that are set up with good intentions are are try to do good, and to a certain extent, they do. They also make us blind to ways that right. we haven't aren't doing good, and they also create wrongs and ills that we didn't know we would create with the way with systems with ways of doing things. So if you preach this with kind of just very stark categories, right. then then you would invite people into the into the uh debate about the details. You know? And I think that rather what you're trying to do is give let this text do for your people what it's meant to do for you. Because now I want to go back and I want to like I want to look yeah. at elements of my own life and be like, oh man, what what in my life is set up that I've kind of like gradually crowded God out of it, yep. you know? And to that extent, put myself under the yoke and, and burden of another Lord who ultimately does not mean yep. me will, or does not mean me well, does, is, yep. is malevolent, is not, be, is not benevolent. And that's when it's good news. And, when, and that, and that's God's work, right? That's God's work to open people's eyes to like, Oh, this is where I've done that, but it can be so much better. Like God is echoing. God is drawing us in. Um, if we're the elder son who set up a system of honor and shame and, and we, yeah. we do well in it, how is the father welcoming us back in? And yeah. it's going to be even better. If we're the the prodigal son and we've tried to make our own way and we've found ourselves like, oh, outside from outside in, in the world or actually isn't all that great. It's, it's got its own uh, false lords in there as well. And the, the, the good word is the father is calling us back in, right? Is, is if those are, if that's about two sons, which, which master have I been serving? Yeah. And how do I get called back into the party? Right. How is it so much better to be in the party with this master, this benevolent one? Yeah. Rather, rather than, than the malevolent forces. Rather than under the power of mammon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it raises, it makes it, I mean, this can be a real invitation to discernment. You know, where are the places where, um, you know, it's making, it's inviting me to even ask it even this week in my own kind of daily examine that I do at the end of the day to just kind of ask, you know, you know, when was I serving you, God? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when was I serving mammon? Mm-hmm. You know, and just start noticing that. Mm-hmm. And again, I like the ancient word mammon, this kind of, because it, it leaves it a lot more, you know, money's too, too specific and it doesn't capture a larger systemic principality and power yeah. that can play out in, you know, yeah. uh, honors and, uh, powers, influence, uh, reputation, other kinds of things that are yep. all intertwined yep. and were understood to be intertwined in the ancient world in a way that we yep. often don't grasp yep. because we think of wealth as kind of abstracted from uh, those kinds Cash. of more relational yep. kind of stuff. So that's, I don't know. I think that's, I don't know, man, that's a good word. I appreciate you uh, saying it. Well, and I love that. I mean, the end of this is no one can serve two masters. Like it's just a reminder, it's just a reminder that there is a measure of freedom for the, the manager to go about and work within and the hired manager, right? These all, there's a measure of freedom that all these people have, but in the end, they're still caught up in things that are are beyond their control. And, and there's a humility that goes with that, that if the pastor or preacher, the freedom to manipulate your masters is not the same (laughs) as the freedom of being under the mastery of God. Yeah. You know, and if the pastor or preacher is able to be humble about that, like how they were caught up, like, it is not their story is not the self help story. Right, it's not the right. Like like this this is not the like the self help edition of how to get out of how to get a job. Right. You know this this is just the contrast between what's it like to be under the lordship of one who meant you ill and under the lordship of one who means you w- yeah well. It's good. Brought it all the way back to self help. <laughs> you know what be great. Sin. You know what be, what might be a really interesting way to prepare for this sermon today. Yeah, is uh. If if people haven't yet read, but but read a few of uh, C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape letters, like re- just read a yeah, few ways yeah. of like what is I it think, like for a malevolent 
forced to kind of like be scheming to get you to do what they want you to do. And and in contrast, yeah. how does God go about doing Like that might kind of give you some imagination to to work with this text. Yeah, I think the the apocalyptic, the spiritual warfare, the, lang- the language in this text invites that. And actually inter- intertwining that with the, the real down-to-earth talk of money and finances is a fun combination that I don't hear from the pulpit very much. Yeah. Usually the spiritual is kind of over there on one yeah. side. And then people who talk about things like money and financial matters are a very different kind of breed. So to actually kind of intertwine those, I think it's would be great, really, yeah. really powerful. Yeah. Screw tape letter. Oh my idea. Awesome. Well, thanks again to Aaron for the time and insight and years of study that come to fruition in this hour discussion. Thanks to all our listeners, of course, for tuning in when they do. And we appreciate you so much. And thanks to oh yeah, hold on a sec. We got a well. I yeah. just want, I just want to invite. This would be one that I'd actually love to see what our listeners did with this. Oh yeah, and like if they would send me a sermon on what they how they preached it or like the service and yeah. how it was controlled. I would love to see how they did. I know how they did me that. Too. So I just invite that. If anybody wants to email me the sermon that they did on this, please do. Aaron.perry at endwest.edu. Yeah, feel free to cc me at john. at endwest.edu. I'd love to. I'd love I would to too. I don't know if I've ever preached on this text. I'm excited. That's good. That's good. Yeah, so you thought of that with listeners. So thanks, listeners. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, no worries. That's great. And uh, thanks to uh, Eric and Todd and all those who help with uh, producing this every week. Couldn't do it without you. And thanks to Tom Adamson for donating that uh, theme music. And we say to you all, have a great preach and a good week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.